Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. I was really surprised the other day. Remember I told you uh, two weeks ago, I did that uh, hand double thing for NCIS. So I'm sitting there and I'm just uh, going and they, I had to put the wardrobe on that they have the guys built just like me because they, they looked at the sizes. But I was watching some of the people getting fitted for wardrobe, some of the extras, and I can't believe that like some people don't know the size of clothes they wear. Like they asked the woman, they said, you know, what size pants are you? And she's like, I don't know, like medium. They're like, no, are you like a two or four? And then they asked some guy like, well, what size shirt are you like a collar? And he's like, I don't know, large. And I'm like, I, I just thought like, you know, growing up, I guess I thought that you just knew your sizes. I mean, I'm, I mean, me, I go between a 40 and 42 regular for a coat. But at least I know that. And hat size, I always get larger, extra large because I got a big ass head. But I sit there, but I know that. And then also amazes me that I was watching some people who are like 25 or 26 years old and they don't know, they have no clue how to like tie a tie. Not that they tie it bad because I mean, we all have done that. We try to tie a tie and it goes bad. But it just amazes me that some guys just look at the tie and they just look at it and they don't even know how to loop it. It's crazy. Anyway. We have a great guest today. I'm going to ask him if he, I bet he can tie a tie. My guess is Tom Wright. How you doing, Tom? I'm good. How are you? Now, now, are you, are you, uh, are, you know your sizes, right? I know all my sizes. Uh, and, and fortunately, they've actually come down in the last two years. That's good. Yeah. No, because I, I went through a, a few, like three years ago, I went through a little bit of a health problem. I was in the hospital for four days and I lost like 20 pounds. And so, of course, I went out and bought jeans that were 32. I'm usually a 33. Now I'm pushing a 34. And I'm so mad because now I sit there and I'm going through jeans from my closet and there's always, I get the wrong pair. I right. get rid of them. So it's crazy. So are, are you working out? Is that why you lost weight? Or is it- um, yeah. You know, I mean, to be frank with you, about uh, two or three years ago, I was watching television and I knew that I was going to be on a specific episodic show and I turned on and my scenes came on and I was looking for myself. And I didn't see, I didn't see myself, and I was actually right in front, really, of the camera, and I, I, I did not recognize myself. I thought, oh man, it's time to do something about it. Time to reverse this aging process. But that's great, though. At least you did something. A lot of people sit there and they talk about it. At least you did something about it. Yeah, and for, you know, I'm, I'm more of, of the school that when you're in your 20s and your 30s, and maybe even into your mid 40s, you could afford to work out hard with weights and get nice and buff and chiseled and and i did all that but uh, once you pass 50 um your joints and your 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 tendons don't react quite the same way to the to the level of stress that you could put on them while you're working out and so i let go of that stuff and i realized that actually it's the internal combustion engine that i want to keep running as efficiently as possible not not the exterior if i got a few rust spots and a couple of dents on my exterior of my automobile i don't care but it runs well do you eat healthy? Is that something you yeah, try to do? Yeah, I do. I do the I do the whole nine yards. Now, now you grew up in uh, North Jersey. Yes, Englewood. Englewood. And now, as a kid, did you always want to act? I mean, you've you've had a great career. I mean, stage and TV and working with John Sales and all this stuff. I mean, a very accomplished career. But as a kid, when you were like a, a, a little five year old, did you sit there and say, "I want to act"? Or I mean, what did you want to do when you were just little? Did you? I mean, what got you into this business? Well, it's it's been an interesting transition. Um, uh, like every other kid in America in the in the mid fifties, I took tap dance lessons, um, but that only lasted, and I never really thought about anything beyond just tap dancing until I was eleven when I got into sports and baseball, and track and football. They all became my passion, and I never really considered acting at all until um, after college, about 1974. Um, I was knocking around in, in, in suburban Pennsylvania, working odd jobs, uh, going to the bar every night. Where'd you go to college? I went to Westchester. West okay. Ch- it was Westchester State at the right. time. Now it's Westchester University. And I played football and I ran track okay. there. Um, but, you know, after school, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, you know, um, I grew out a great big afro and you know, I followed the Grateful Dead around and, and, and I hung out and did odd jobs because I just had no real direction. So you were a deadhead when it was like when, when I was when that, like, that's like the height of being like, that's like probably the best time to be a deadhead. When it you was the them. greatest time. It was it was it was a fantastic time to be to be a deadhead. And uh, I'm glad to say that I'm proud to say that uh, I saw some of their real iconic concerts. But uh, but nonetheless, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and a friend of mine who was a director in theater um, 
came to me one day and he said, you know, you don't know it yet, but you're an actor. And I was like, get out of here. He says, no, trust me, you're an actor. You just don't realize it. So I said, yeah, sure. He said, I'm going to prove it to you. I said, okay, go ahead. He said, you're going to be in a play that I'm directing. It's called The Day of Absence. It's by Ed Bullens. I'm doing it at Cheney State College and you're going to be in it. I said, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot. And I did the play. Uh, in fact, I was so undisciplined, I missed the first three rehearsals because, because I, I went to the bar after after working construction every day. And on the on the fourth day, he was actually blocking. He he parked on the sidewalk and then blocked the door to the bar with his car and said, "Get in." <laughs> so I went and I did this play. And when I stepped on stage opening night, um, there was this this um, this this. Epiphany that happened, uh, a convergence of all things related to my uh, conscious and subconscious lit up at the exact same time uh, when I opened my mouth and I got a reaction from the audience and I just thought this is where I belong. So um, I did that play. I had never taken an acting lesson. Um, I, I, I knew that I wanted to be an actor. And um, I got asked to join the People's Light and Theater Company outside of Philadelphia. Um, and I did 15 plays in two years, and I'd never taken an acting lesson. So were you, what, what kind of, were you getting lead parts? Were you getting supporting parts? Were you getting all different parts? They were all, they, it was, it was, it was a, 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 mish, a mashup uh, because it was a company and they rotated uh, the roles quite, uh, quite, quite, um, uh, uh, they were very democratic in how they, how they chose who was going to be in what play. But the, the highlight was, was playing Biff Lohman in an all white cast in 1976. And, um, that's when I decided that I needed to move to New York and, and get some theory to, to supplement this practical experience that I had because everyone would take their scripts home at night and they'd come back the next day during the rehearsal process, and there you could see just a marked change and, and an elevation in what it is they're attempting to do. All I could do would, was take the script home, put it down on, on, on the nightstand, and look at it. I had no idea how to access a script, how to, how to break down a character, how to, how to, um, uh, how to understand and, and, and identify um, uh, beats and mood changes and and character uh, delineation, all that stuff was was foreign to me. So I moved to New York in 1976 with $150 in my pocket, and I didn't know anyone, and that's how I started. So you moved to New York, and you you knew you needed the theory. You had to learn. You knew right. you said, which is a lot of people think, and I don't have to learn, but you sat there right. and you said, I want to. I guess you're probably a little envious when the people come back after reading the script, and you're going, I, I didn't see the same thing. So you're probably very hungry. So So where do you... Where do you start? Where do you decide to go to start learning that process? Well, when you know nothing, and I knew absolutely nothing, I, you know, someone said HB Studio, start there, and um, the Herbert Berghoff Studio. And I went and studied with uh, three different teachers at HB Studio, and I actually wound up um, getting an Uta Hagen's class. But I had very mixed feelings about it because they were teaching they were their program was really designed for actors who had never acted before and who needed a process who needed to develop a process in order to in order to become a really solid stage actor i already had 15 plays under my belt so it, it, there was an incongruence of of my natural my natural how do i say my natural process was 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 antithetical to to the process they were teaching so i i bounced i left um but i wound up finding the neighborhood playhouse i studied with win hanman for a couple of years and and that became the basis for 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 my technique so you start working now now when do you start decide that you want to get start to get stage work in new york and was it a hard process i never knew you could make money as an actor to tell you the truth when, when i moved to new york in 76 uh, all i ever thought about was doing theater um, and, uh, it wasn't until I was in a scene study class with a kid and he stopped our, 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 our rehearsal and he said, hold on, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be on TV. I said, you're what? He says, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm doing extra work on, on one life to live. And, uh, you know, um, I'm going to be on it at, at one o'clock. I thought, okay. So we turned on the television and. Sure enough, he was there in the background, and I said, "They paid you for that." He, he says, "Yeah, you know, you 
you, you make $80 a day. I said, in 1976, I'm like 80 bucks a day to walk through the background. He was like, yeah. I was like, and I thought light went on. I need to get some of that. Um, but I did theater. I did, I did uh, probably about 30 plays in New York before I ever, I ever got paid for, for being on television. So, so you're sitting there, I mean, you, you love being on theater, you love being on stage. And, but now are you, are you making any money off the stage or no? It was a mixed bag. Um, I really, you, in New York theater in the mid seventies, which it was a great time to be in New York. Um, there was, you could pull together roughly $750 and rent out a theater and put on a play and, and for, for 750 bucks to a thousand dollars, you could get like a six week run at a small theater. There were tons of independent theaters in New York. So everyone was collaborating with everyone else and, and throwing everything up against the wall to see what would stick. And it was a pretty exciting time. There was a lot of bad theater, of course, but there were a few gems. And the best part of it was that you were able to make this create this social network that revolved around the actual work experience, not the social network of, I have your phone number, you have mine, we're both on the same, we both tweet back and forth, we're Instagram buddies or whatever. <laughs> this was getting to know people through how they work, how they, how they process um, theater, how they process themselves as artists. And, and it was a wonderful time. I, so many of the, my, my close friends today are friends that I made back in the mid-70s. So you're working now. Now, did you ever go start going out on the road doing theater when you were in New York? Um, you, you know, I was a non-union actor until 1979. I, you know, I, I got um, um, a job uh, at the Kennedy Center doing a play. And um, once you join Actors' Equity, which is the union, that opens up a whole new world of actually getting paid to work, and it opens up the, the regional theater world. And I did. I, I, I bounced around. I went. I did plays at the Actors' Theater in Louisville, Hartford Stage, Kennedy Center, Center Stage in Baltimore, uh, the, the Alley Theater, just all over the place, you know. Uh, I, I, while working in New York as well. So, so you're 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 getting your you're you're honing your craft big time. I mean, you're getting on stage a lot. Sure. It sounds like you're getting on stage now. During that time, were you trying to get any TV work at all, or were you just concentrating strictly on the stage? The theater, the the between 1975 and 1985, the theater in New York was there was no television work. The only television show that shot there in the 70s was Kojak. The only television show that shot there after Kojak was The Equalizer. So if you were a working actor in New York, it meant you were in the theater or you were doing commercials and everybody sort of did commercials, uh, which was basically a lottery ticket. You never knew. You couldn't really count on whether or not you're going to make a living doing commercials. But you could make a living in the theater once you had established yourself. Um, I was lucky enough to 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 um, to do four years at the National Playwrights uh, uh, Conference in, in Waterford, Connecticut. It's the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. And uh, it, it was it's basically a clearinghouse for the best American plays of any given year. And that's where I really fell into just an amazing group of people who, who were dedicated theater artists who who many of whom have carried uh, the, the crucible of 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 American theater uh, from one time period to the next. Now, when did you decide to move to LA? Oh well, <laughs> I was one of the last of my uh, of of my tribe to move to LA because um, I was a dedicated New Yorker, but. Um, I started, the first film I ever did was Brother from Another Planet with John Sales. Joe uh, Morton too, right? Yeah, Joe Morton was in that. Uh, but the, actually to back up a bit, I was also a stuntman for 10 years. Now, now, how does someone, I always wonder that, like how does someone learn to be a stuntman? And is it really, I mean, it looks like it's pretty dangerous. It's, it's, um, it's really, uh, uh, it, it's a, it's, it's a mix of things. Um, it's part, it's part um, um, engineer, 
because because what you're doing is you're you're given a specific task and you need to design um, a plan, um, and whether it be a fire gag or whether it be um, uh, some some intricate car weaves or and 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 the car uh, uh, rolls at the end, whether it's a fight scene, all of those things need a design. So there has there's an engineering sort of sort of aspect to to to, to stunt work. There's there's a um, there's a training of of both mind and body that also needs to to to, to be coordinated along with that, as as well as a a, a certain sense of theatricality. Um, I, my first job was 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 The Wanderers in 1978, a Philip Kaufman movie. Love that movie. Uh, and um, there was I played one of the football players, the Dell Bombers, the Black Gang. And in the middle of the football game, there's a fight with the Ducky Boys, and it's a it's a huge like brouhaha in the middle of the field. And when they started to break down specific fights. The coordinator came to me and he gave me some movements and some actions, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is really fun." And the that led to me starting to take uh, gymnastics lessons for stuntmen. And one thing led to another, and before you know it, I was doubling Gregory Hines and uh, like in Wolfen, and where I had wolves attack me. Uh, I um, Oh gosh, double Mario Van Peebles, um, Ernie Hudson, uh, Michael Wright, and a bunch of guys. Um, but stunt work is 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 an amazing thing, um, but it's not for everyone. It's 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 not the sensationalized sort of uh, um, uh, fairy tale that uh, Hollywood would want you to think it is. It's really a working man's and engineer mindset and you really they're, they're the most some of the most grounded people on set are stuntmen because the ones who are ungrounded wind up getting hurt right so now so you did that for 10 years right and now did you do that in la did you come to la yeah. to, okay so you're doing that in new york right and so and then that's you know and the thing is and you're still doing theater at the time you're doing both right okay. right so right. you're you're you know you're living a pretty good life I i'm mean, making you're, a living yeah and you're doing a you're i mean the the wonderfulness of theaterness and then just the energy. I'm sure there must be an energy when you do a stunt, just like that, uh, like a oh, it's an amazing feeling. A rush just because you're sitting there. I mean, it's just to flip a car. I mean, most yeah. people, you know, did you ever get like break any bones doing it? Um, I I never really got hurt. I I, I damaged the knee doing one thing. Um, I doubled uh, Andre Brower in a Kojak movie uh, in the, the mid '80s. Um, I injured my back once, but it it I n- I never really. I never really got uh, got injured. My 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 idea, the, the design at the time, at least I in my own head was was I was I, I wanted to marry the two disciplines. I wanted to marry acting with stunts and and create sort of sort of a new category because you know they're very they're kept very separate. You know, you either are a stuntman or you are an actor. You're not both. Um, so I tried to marry those disciplines until it actually got to be too confusing. You got, you know, there are stunt people who say, well, he's an actor. And then there were, you know, uh, casting directors who said, well, he's a stuntman. And, and it got to be so confusing for, for the for the industry at large that I, I wound up just, just separating them and stopped. I stopped doing stunts when my son was born. And then you moved to L.A.? I moved to L.A., um, yeah. And what, I mean, what brought you, was there, was there a certain thing where you just said you wanted to get into more theater? Or, I mean, or did you sit there and say, I, you know, New York, I've, I've done... Great work in New York. I I I'm basically my time is done. I mean, what right. made you come? Is that what made you come out here? Well, I had children. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. how you said. You, it's... And and you know that will that that will uh, they they will decide for you. You know, your your kids will tell you like you know what you need to do. And um, there wasn't it wasn't really an option for us to raise kids in Manhattan. I I didn't feel like that was the right place. Also, at the same time, New York was going through quite a work slowdown in the in the late '80s and early '90s. There was very there was very little shooting in town, and I knew that I needed to make a living to support to support a family. Um, uh, I had some opportunities and 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 a lot of interest in moving to LA, so I did. 
and that's what brought me out here is 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 uh, to do movies and TV. Now you said the brother from another planet. You're, that right. was your, one of your first movies. Now that started a relationship with you and John Sales. I mean, because you've worked in what five of his movies? I uh, I've done seven actually. Seven. Okay. So what was that? I mean, because you know John Sales is one of those great directors, and right. a lot of people don't know who he is, right? And and they don't know his work is it's 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 you have to watch it. Right. It's, you can't sit there and go. Hey, give me some popcorn. You have to sit there and watch it and enjoy it. Well, now, what, what people don't understand about John is that, you know, John Sales and John Cassavetes are the, are the two most um, important people to the independent film movement. Um, Cassavetes was a predecessor of John Sales's, but um, John took, John was a writer. He's always been a writer. He's a fantastic writer. And, and during the, in the mid seventies, he wrote a bunch of movies for Roger Corman. And rather than take that money and spend it on a house or buy a new car or take a trip to, to, to Europe, John invested in himself. He, he took $65,000 of his own money and he, and he wrote, produced, edited, directed, and acted in a film called Return of the Secaucus 7, which he completely did on his, his own pretty much. Um, that film was the wound up becoming the darling of of several film festivals and it was the first independent film to get a fairly wide release um and you know john sort of set the table for a do-it-yourself for for do-it-yourself filmmaking um we met in 1979 doing a play at at the uh, manhattan punchline theater uh, called turnbuckle about professional wrestlers and uh, we hit it off. David Strathairn, Gordon Clapp, myself, John, Joe Morton, I met at the same time. We, we all kind of grouped around around this play. And uh, when it came time to do uh, The Brother from the Planet, John called me up once. John called me up and he said, look, he says, I've got, a, I've got this film and uh, I want you to be in it. Um, I'm going to need a little help with casting because it's a mostly African-American film and I don't know that many African-American actors. I said, sure, I'll be glad to help. He said, you want to come out for dinner um, and uh, I'll, I'll explain the, the, the script to you. Now, John's mind is, he's a brilliant individual. Um, he doesn't eat sugar or drink caffeine because his brain is, 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 is open in portals that most of us don't have and he gets very affected easily by by certain chemicals john was able he's able to write an entire script in his mind without writing it down on paper or typing it out so um i didn't know this so i went to his his house uh my friend steve james and i he asked steve and i both to to sort of assist him and after dinner john explained the very opening shot of the Brother from Another Planet, went through the entire film and the and and the closing credits, and what he described is exactly what's on screen. Wow! Exactly what's on screen. That's amazing. It's just yeah. it's like like a visionary. Yeah, John's he's he's an incredible uh, an incredible guy, and and our work relationship on Brother from Another Planet solidified um, a, a really uh, good friendship and a good working relationship. So so. So I became part of his tribe and, you know, part of the tribe. It was just a, a, an incredible group of people. So you did that. No, no, you get, that was your first movie out here in L.A. Uh, we did it in New York. Oh, yeah, we but, did it in so, Harlem. That was one of your first movies. So now, now, when you moved to L.A., what's one of your first parts you get out here? Oh, gosh. There were, there's, uh, I'm trying to remember. It was mostly TV, you know, I think uh, like 227 or... Oh, Nell Carter's You did a give show. me a break. I said, you did, yeah, give me, give yeah, me a break. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just, there's some, I, I really can't remember the, the first one, but I can remember the, the first, the first seminal experience that I had out here was uh, doing Mark for Death with Steven Seagal. And what was that like? Cause like, you know, people, you know, younger people don't understand At One time Seagal was like, Seagal was like the, the thing. I mean, he, he Seagal was. was a badass. And then, you know, you know, he was just, and his movies were good. I mean, they were, you, you watched them, they were, they were, they weren't like people, you know, my age and your age, you know, we remember the Bruce Lee movies and they right. were, they were dubbed and the bad dubbing. So it was all the fights, but Seagal brought something to where it was like, there was actually a story 
and then he would just kick ass. He was his. He, I think uh, "Mark for Death" ranks with "Above the Law." "Above the Law" was his first film, and "Above the Law" it was directed by Andrew Davis, and it was a, it was a really solid, solid film shot in Chicago, and Seagal was great. "Mark for Death," though, what, what the interesting thing about that about that movie is that Seagal was was kicking all of the African-American actors um, out of the audition. Uh, he was stopping them in mid-audition and, and dismissing them summarily because their accents were bad. And I heard this before, before I went in, so I decided to go in as a Jamaican. So I walked in the door and I sat down and I said, uh, before I begin the audition, Stephen, I have to tell you one thing. You know, I have a real problem with the way that black American actors portray Jamaicans. He said, what's that? Well, first off, in America, black people were given their freedom particularly by a white man. In Jamaica, man, we take it. And he looked at me. And so I kept it up, you know, and he, he asked the question. He says, so can we shoot in Kingston, you know? And I said, uh, well, I tell you true, man. About a lot of your best movie, that one. You take it down to Kingston, you show it for free. All them rude boy by the side, boss. I'm get coffee, what you want? It don't matter, man, because you the man there. So I kept up the whole, I just kept the hit name. And finally, the moment of truth comes. And he says, so um, are you born in Jamaica? So I looked deep, as deeply as I possibly could into the eyes and soul of Steven Seagal to, to gauge what his potential reaction might, might be if I were to tell him that I'm actually from Englewood, New Jersey, and I saw no light at the end of the tunnel. So I said, well, uh, a lot of vexation in my family behind a certain you know, thing that happened a while back. My mom should marry a guy. My granddad don't like the man at all. So... I was born in Jamaica, but when I was four, I moved to Brooklyn. I can speak like an American, but they don't choose to, because I don't want to, you know, cast off my, my, my generational rights. <laughs> so I kept it up the whole movie. So the whole time, he 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 swear, like, like did, did you ever tell him? At the, at the last day, I told him. I and said, now how did he react? Said, he turned around and walked away from me. <laughs> you know, that's so great. I mean, it's just like, but that's now that's what acting, that that's acting. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It, it was, you know, I knew that I wouldn't get the job if, if he knew that I was from New Jersey. Now, you're, you're working out here. Now, now, uh, now, when did you start getting more TV work? I know you were... It was all mixed in. So... It, was all, it, was, it was all mixed in. I mean, um, uh, you know, c casting um, is, is, is an interesting process. Um, for, for African-American actors, there's a, there's a specific sort of uh, history that, that, that comes along with um, w how much work you've done, where you've actually gotten work, and where you have not quite been allowed to work. Um, in the history of African-American acting, or in terms of casting and, and popular types that, that get uh, chosen to... to, to, to to become the icons for and carry the torch for the African-American male community changes. It changed. It, cha it started out with Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte where they were very erudite. They're very well-spoken, very good looking. Um, and then somewhere in the, in the mid seventies, when I, I think Danny Glover helped shift the paradigm um, when he uh, he did the film with Sally Field, in which he played um, uh, this this guy from the South. He was a farmer, basically. And all of a sudden, a lot of the roles became roles that were that were in terms of uh, a Southern uh, rural sort of sort of type. I mean, that's that's who got cast. That's who the roles. Every role was kind of written that way. And that translated into um, roles on television, in particular, in which um, he's 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 a lawyer, but um, he he grew up in Detroit. But his dad was lynched by the Klan, so his mom moved the family up, and you know that was the sort of continuing narrative right. that 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 was that sort of came tacked along. That backstory was tacked on to almost every character. 
And then when, when Boys in the Hood like exploded the way it did, all of a sudden it became about being urban. He's a lawyer, but he was raised by a single mom in the right. ghetto. But he studied hard and worked his way. So, you know, there became, to be an urban black male was huge for about 10 or 15 years. To to be to be defined as being looking like you're from the rural south, sounding like you're from the rural south, having traces of that whole thing, for a number of years, you know, those were the really good roles that were available, and and um, uh, if you didn't fit that those 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 paradigms, um, you you would find you could find yourself, um, you know, looking. F- for more work than you're actually doing. So there was never a choice between television or films. I never had the op- the, 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 the luxury of being able to say, well, I'm just going to do movies. Right. Well, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do TV series. I'm just going to do, you know, this, I'm not going to do that. That's why I have a hundred, about 175, 180 credits on IMDb is because I wanted to stay fluid. I wanted to stay working. I wanted to stay committed to the craft. And and I I did not want to to presume to be more important to the industry than I actually am. Now, with your acting, was martial law one of your first recurring roles on a TV show? It it it, it was. I was a I was regular. a series regular on on a show called Extreme First up in Salt Lake City, up in actually in um, in Park City, Utah. That was the first one, but Martial Law was the second uh, network show that I did. Now, what's that mean? It must be great when you're an actor when you sit there when you become a regular, but then it must I always talk to guests. It's great, and then the show gets canceled, and that's must bum me out just because you get so close to the crew. I think it's like you have a uh, a real relationship. It's it's a family. Um, you know, working in in the film. I mean, working in the film business and the television industry as an actor is 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 a piece of cake compared to what the crew has to endure. Um, you know, if it's 15 degrees below zero, as it often was in Park City, Utah, um, I have a trailer where I can stay warm. You know, um, I, they only bring me out to set when everything is set up and I and they just ask me to do my thing. The crew is out there. 10, 12, 14 hours a day in 15 degree below weather, uh, you know, just working their butts off to, 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 to bring everything together so that, so that you can step out of your warm trailer for the, for the 10 minutes that you're going to be out there and knock it out of the park. And I really, I really appreciate, I don't consider actors to be any different than the crew. You know, there's this hierarchy. People tend to buy into this, the hierarchy of, of, of entertainment where producers are at a certain level and then there's directors and then there's actors and then there's, and then the crew is always on the, on the, on the bottom of the totem pole. That's, that's kind of the traditional way of how you, you look at the structure of, of, a, of, of a show. I think the crew is, I think actors are just part of the crew. We just have different jobs. So um, when you find yourself working with a crew that you really like, that, that, that you have a lot of respect for, that, that respects what you do in turn, um, uh, it's like a family, and you don't want to give up your family. Now, as you're acting, and you know, you've been in the great work, you know, the theater and the sales movies, and then Seinfeld comes along. Right. Now, everybody watches. I mean, and now it's like, I mean, Seinfeld's on every night. We watch it at theater. Right, and now, right. you know... Uh, it's on Hulu now and everything. When you were you a fan of the show when you were auditioning for it, or did you really did you were you like uh, I didn't know that much about the show. You know, um, when I got the job, I knew a little bit about it. Um, uh, I knew that it was a popular show, but I hadn't really invested much time in watching it. And when I got the job, um, I thought, well, this is cute. You know, I had no idea that that show would have the legs that it has. That I mean, I did it 20 years ago, and it's it's still just as 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 vibrant in in people's minds today as it was 20 years ago, and it was also one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. Why? 
because because Larry David, who is the genius behind the operation, not to take anything away from any any of the other creative entities, but Larry Larry set up a structure that sort of mimicked Barney Miller. Barney Miller was one one of my favorite shows, and it was one of the first shows that that like typically a half an hour comedy. You'll come in on a Monday. You'll do what's called the table read. Then everybody goes away at at noon after the table read. And then you come back Tuesday and the script is somewhat different. They start working on the script. They start trying to make the jokes funnier. They start, you know, really getting in with nuts and bolts and working things out. But by Thursday or Friday, everyone has heard the same 15 jokes you know, numerous amounts of times, and people start to get a little panicky. Um, they start to just toss out good work because they feel like they need something new. They feel like they need something bigger. And this is what causes, you know, the destruction of all... It's been the destructive element for a lot of really good sitcoms, that they don't trust their material and stay with it to see how it actually plays. What Barney Miller did and what Larry David did was we would do a table read on Monday and then... Tuesday, you wouldn't come in. The writers from 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 Monday noon all the way th- until Wednesday morning would be lo- basically locked in a room working on the script. Once Wednesday came, they would lock the script. So you'd show up on Wednesday, and the script would never change from Wednesday right through the, you know your last taping on Friday night. So for us as actors, by the time you got to that Friday night taping, it was like a small one-act play. Everyone knew exactly where the beats were. Everyone knew exactly where the laughs were. Every, there were no, there was no frill. So you have a well-honed, well-oiled, well-rehearsed machine every single week that's ready that, that that's ready to be foisted upon upon an audience. You, you're not going to lose. Now, did you think it would be just one episode, or did you know it would become more? I, I thought it would just be one. And now, what was it like working with Jason Alexander? Because he also has a theater background. You guys both have are New York theater guys. Yeah, and 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 it was great because 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 you know I knew I I knew what Jason needed from me, and he knew what I needed from him. And um, because George was always very angst ridden and sort of like ah oh, well you know ah, and I thought it would be help him and probably help myself if I just sort of sat there and looked at him. Right. <laughs> and so that became what uh, Mr. Morgan is noted for. Now, what are some of your uh, experiences on the sales movies as you work through? After you did Brother from Another Planet, you've been in a bunch of them. I did Mate One, which is which was the next one. Now, did he just automatically come to you and say, "Yeah, I got a part for you," which one must be must say, well, because you're friends with him, but he must just must say says a lot about your talent. Yeah, because well, he's such a. Thanks, I mean, yeah. he must sit there. It's not like, you know, if if you, even if you're right. good friends, if you stunk, you're not gonna like. I have people right. to go, hey, can I come with you. You know, you no, know. no, it's 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 been one of the. Um, um, how can I say? It's 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 been one of the life affirming uh relationships that i've had is is working with john uh because you know he knows he knows who i am he he knows what i can do and whenever he thinks he's got something that i'm right for he he he's not shy and just saying here i think you should do this um and what john does is interesting is that john will come over for dinner and he'll sit down and he'll he'll say well, i'm thinking about doing this movie and i'm like okay john and he'll tell you the entire story, and he says, "And this is where you fit in." <laughs> and then, uh, like uh, two weeks later, he'll send you a—he he sends a a um, um, a backstory, it's a backstory essay, basically, on your character and who it is they are. Um, and it's it's fascinating because I mean, John's a novelist. You know, that's the one thing that that every that anyone who's ever seen any of John's movies should remember is that he's a really, really good novelist. So whenever he writes a character, he he's not just writing a character because uh, uh, the waiter needs to deliver the water to the to the to table five. You know, he's thought about who that waiter is and 
why they have that job and what they were doing before before they got that job and what what's going on in, the, in behind the bar and is the boss an asshole i mean you know john thinks about all of that stuff with every single character so when he hands you one um, you can have an in-depth discussion about the character because because uh, John's already paved the way for you. It must be also great because all his movies are different. Yeah. I mean, that must be great for an actor when it's not like, like, you know, if you sit there and you do a Seagal movie and you're going to come back for another Seagal movie, you know, it's it's, it's going to sort of be the, it's right. going to be a Seagal movie. But I mean, as an actor, that must be, I mean, you must really look forward to, I mean, when he sits there and goes, hey, you know, I, I, I have a part for you. You must sit there and sit there and probably think, this is going to be great, but I have no idea what the movie's going to be. I mean, does he tell you before what the movie's going to be oh, about? Yeah, he'll he'll let you know. He 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 absolutely lets you know. Like, I mean, you, you know, one of the, I, I think the best role I've had, although it's it's just one scene in one of John's films, was Passion Fish. Um, because um, he, 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 the characters that I like to play, that, that, that I have a real, I think, almost natural affinity for, um, I get typecast, um, um, as as the cop, as the lawyer, as the doctor, as the CIA operative, as the the Secret Service guy. I mean, those are the kind of roles uh, Hollywood tends to cast me in. But John knows that the type of roles that I really prefer to play are working class people who are struggling, people who are struggling with addiction, people who are struggling with with relationships, struggling with self identity. And who are who who are doing their best under any circumstance to find to make the best of a situation. Um, those are the characters that I that I really relate to on a sort of a subatomic level. And um, uh, Passion Fish, uh, I played Alfred Woodard's ex-boyfriend, um, a guy who's trying to recover uh, from from a crack addiction, and he comes down to Louisiana to search for. Um, because they used to, you know, he, he was, she was the love of his life and, and he gets rebuffed by, by Mary, uh, Mary McDonald. Um, and she doesn't allow him to actually see her. Uh, so th- 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 to me, that's a role. That's a, that's a real character. Now, and that's good though, because that's a Hayes's confidence in you that you can pull those rows off. And that must be great as an actor when someone who is a, very respected director has that confidence. I mean, as an actor, that must be one of the biggest compliments you can ever have. Oh, it's 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 great, and it doesn't happen all the time. And and you know, I mean, you you would hope, you wish that every single role you ever took on had that type of complexity, that type of depth, and 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 that the that the appreciation of your efforts also came along with it. But um, there are a lot of roles that you know, I've I'm I've still got to. A daughter in college and uh you know if someone needs me to stand on stand in the middle of the street and direct traffic from left to right and then from right to left uh for a decent payday i'll I will, i'll do it but i'll also in the back of my mind be thinking about you know what did this guy have for breakfast uh, right what kind of lot what's he going to go home to uh after he gets off work and oh my goodness here comes a vw bus the same kind that the guy used to have back in the late 70s you know so you know, you're always processing. Sure, sure. Now, now you were in Barbershop. Yes. Now, what was that like? That was a really fun film. Because uh, Ice Cube, I mean, just seems like he's such a smart guy. He's I mean, a very smart guy. He's 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 a very very um, intelligent guy. Um, uh, he's he's so um, how do I put this? He's he's very self-contained um he's not looking for anybody's approval he has a real point of view he works extremely hard um and he has an extreme passion for 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 story for characters uh whether it be whether he's he's an actor whether he's producing it you know he's he's i i put him like i think very highly of him and, and of his his commitment to, to to the performing arts. Now, was that just a fun movie to work? Oh, it was really fun. Uh, you know, uh, we we shot at Chicago for one, which is a great city. Um, and uh, the, the cast of characters, 
who who played the different roles was was really Cedric was hilarious and a lot of fun to be around. And I've known Keith David. I've done a couple projects with him. Um, so it was it was it was a delightful experience. Now, were you excited when they came out with the sequel? Sure, you know, I mean, y- y- anything that 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 um, that you're in the original love, and they they decide they want to try to try to do it again, uh, is is a compliment to the entire cast of the first one. Now, you said you play cops a lot. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Now, no, that I I, I saw you on uh, was it Criminal Minds? No, uh, just I did I I yeah I was the the chief of police in yeah, Criminal Minds. Yeah, that was three watching today. Now, now there's a show called Close to Home. You played a judge. Yes. Now, what was like? Did you enjoy playing a judge? Because I mean, when you're a cop, I mean, you know, and and you have a stunt background. So when you're a cop, right. you're doing stuff. Even if you're even if you're the, the head of the police, you're, you're you're walking around. You know, you're doing stuff. Right. But as a judge, you pretty you're much just there. sit there. So yeah. how how do you do? Is like you're an act like you're a guy who's done stunts and stuff like that. And when you're a judge, I mean, it's more authoritative. But is it? It must be just you must have to learn just a lot of legal jargon and just either you know, be mean or, or you have... there, 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 there is there, there is a um um uh, an a a level of of uh, an order of difficulty uh, of in, in terms of certain types of dialogue and legalese is one um, any a medical drama legal dramas and Star Trek. Those are the three space dramas. They're very, very technical. The words are are put in a specific order for an extreme reason, and and it, it takes a little bit more focus and concentration to actually to to actually um, uh, deal with that type of dialogue. But I enjoy being a judge because I I do like debate. Um, uh, I'm a closet Judge Judy fan. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> I'm a closet people people's court watcher from from way back in the Rusty day. Rusty the bay. I I just I like <laughs> I like to see two people present arguments, you know, um, in order in, in order to and I I love the the, the notion of of you as 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 a as an adjudicator making sense of both sides and 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 sussing out exactly what the truth is and probably and and deciding with some sort of degree of reasonable probability what actually happened um i enjoy that so playing a judge is actually uh, if they give you a case in which you actually have to you know to, to decide something it's really fun and what was it like being a star trek well, I did Star Trek Voyager and I did Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and Voyager was a great job because I played uh, Tuvix. Um, it was uh, for 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 those of you who are are, are big Star Star Trek Voyager fans. Um, I play a character. There's a there's a transporter accident in which Tuvok, who is who is a Vulcan, and this character Neelix, who is sort of a hedgehog. Uh, type guy. They there's an accident and the two of them get combined, and I play the the combination of the two of them, uh, and that was really fun, but it was also really hard. What made it so hard? Because each char- one character is, is sort of a playful, carefree, sort of lighthearted guy, and the other is is a traditional Vulcan. So it was it was a mix and match of of, and then you know Star Trek has has very specific rules. Um, about their universe uh, and uh, working it, it, if you already know the rules learning the rules on set while having to juggle these two different vastly different characters and create one was was a lot of work but it was it was really rewarding it was very very rewarding but it was very difficult now did, did you get a lot of and notice from that because yeah, the Star Trek fans, you know, they're very the rabid fans. They love you guys, I mean, that's they. It's insane. I mean, right now, did I mean how how was some of the reactions to you? I mean, like because I could imagine because they're they're not the normal fans. I mean, they're just no, different. I mean, no, they're, and, they're, and they worship you guys. They're pretty. They're they're pretty solid. I just actually got back uh, uh, last weekend um, from the Rhode Island Comic Con and and. Part of the main reason why I was there was because of Tuvix and, and Star Trek Voyage. What's that like uh, going to those conventions? I mean, it must be you know you, you guys are there's the they love you, but then you also also you, they're sometimes I think they get a little fanatical. I mean, it must be it must be weird. It it is it is strange in in that I'll, I'll tell you my journey because because um, 
you know, I, I'm never, I've never, I didn't, I didn't get involved in this to become a star or to look for fan worship or, 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 or to chase girl or women or, or, or anything like that. I, I, I got it. I became an actor because of a certain internal, um, uh, internal passion to, to, to develop and articulate uh, a voice. Yeah. And, um, so going to a fan convention, you know, where 60% of the people are dressed up in crazy costumes and there are people crowding your table who, who, who want autographs and, you know, who knew every single line I had ever spoken in any of the Star Trek episodes. Uh, it was a little overwhelming at first. And, but what I what I came to see and realize was that these are people who have a passionate love for a specific thing, and their love for whether it be comic books or Star Trek or Star Wars or Game of Thrones or Hellboy or any of those things is so is so genuine that that you can't help but feel you know grateful and 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 compassionate in terms of who they are and what what it is they're doing it just it's a love in basically um for me that's a, that that's how i felt about it I, I came to really like a lot of the people that i ran into it at comic-con now do you do a lot of them no that was the first one now do you think would you want to do more i probably would it's not being that's fun though. I mean, it it must be great just because it, the, the it's people fun. you meet. It's it, cool. It's it's different. It's really different. But um, it's just that anything that 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 people have a passion for um, in in terms of of their appreciation of a related or a given uh, performing art uh, when they're grouped together, that's a good thing. It doesn't matter whether it's music or painting or sculpture rap or it, it doesn't matter you know when when a, a group of people are all together for a common reason and it's an appreciation of a, of a specific art form or entertainment form I, I just think it's a good thing now well granite flats it's on netflix right, right. now what was that like shooting because everyone says when you go to utah no one was sure what what it was going to be like because well, it's the whole like and it was a awesome for a facility, I heard. Yeah. Well, the thing about about it, I was lucky in that, you know, I had already worked in Utah, you know, and I, I had done Extreme and right. I, I did a, a couple of films and uh, a, a TV show there, just a couple episodes. So I knew what, what to expect. Um, what I didn't expect was how contemporary Salt Lake City has become. It's a really great city it's a it's an under the radar cool town um and um you know there are a lot of people who were really you know ambivalent about um or or a little trepidatious about working for the mormon church vis-a-vis byu but i I don't i don't have those kinds of concerns that that you know for me you know it's all about what's on the page and and if what you're writing on the page is is real and has resonance and has has depth um then it's going to be fine you know uh then i'm 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 going to do it i'm going to be glad to do it and and you know i just also am very slow to make categorical um uh, characterizations of of groups of people based on other people's perceptions, um, and I found I found the, the Mormon community in Salt Lake City to be to to you know they they've got some issues politically, especially recently with the with the um, um, the, the the ban on 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 homosexual people being allowed to be part of the Mormon Church, but by and large they were very friendly very genteel um and and kind uh and and there are a lot of people in this world who aren't now that must be a good show because it had a it had a good following it had a sort of like a family following do you like that as as an actor being you know when you get a role like that sure i like you know it, it, it you like i like anything that if, if they're following me in, in any respect i'm happy <laughs> but 
but being part of a family show, um, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't find it to be. Um, I, I don't. I, I, I should put it this way: the the definition of family show usually always implies something soft, something something namby pamby, something that's um, like like vanilla ice cream as as opposed to Rocky Road, you know, but. But this was not that type of family show. This was a very complex show with a very, very um, well thought out uh, point of view that um, that that hinted at a lot more than it was actually saying. And and it was the only thing that made it a quote unquote family show is is that you know there was no swearing and no sex. But everything else you could want in a show is in Granite Flats. I mean, there is something there for almost everyone. And it's good it's on Netflix. It must be great. You know, for an actor, it must be great that people can easily see your work now. Before, it's like right. you had to go, like, you know, we're talking about John Sales. You know, before they have to go, well, I have to go find a video store. And, you know, have the, like the blockbuster stuff. They, don't, they, don't, like they have one copy and one guy took it out and he didn't right. bring it back for like a year. It must be great as an actor now with all the, all the, right. how they can just find your work. I mean. When you started out, I'm sure you never would sit there and think, you know, when you were acting, when you oh. first said that, that someone could sit there and I could pick up this right now and I can go on my Netflix and I could watch you in something. I mean, as an actor, that must just be fascinating. Well, when, when I first began, if, 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 if you happen to be, do, if you happen to, if you did a television show and it happened to be on Tuesday at 9 p.m. and you were busy doing something else, you wouldn't see it again. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> no. It's never. Yeah. You wouldn't see it. I mean, un, unless you just happened to catch a rerun. Um, and, um, it, it has opened up the, you know, the, the internet, uh, Netflix, uh, digital media has, has given everybody the, the tools within which to express themselves, to, 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 to have a, have a say, to put their voice out there and, 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 and find out whether or not uh, it resonates with, with, with people. Um, it, I cannot urge everyone enough to go check out Granite Flats, um, and uh, you have to watch all three seasons. It's it's a very very interesting show. It must be great also when it did get picked up on Netflix. I mean, it was like the right. first you know because in the beginning people couldn't find it really if if you didn't have that thing, but now. That's the thing. Now people can go watch it, and you know you can see last one. Now, what else? We have a few minutes left. Anything else coming up on your on your docket right now? Oh, there's a few things. I'm in a film uh, with Chadwick Boseman called um, Message from the King. Uh, I just did a, a film that I, a quirky film, independent movie called Rebirth that I think will will actually do pretty well. Um, there's a, a bunch of TV stuff that's that, that's coming up, and you know I I tend to forget. Yeah, because you you have know, so many credits I, on IMDb, keep, you should forget. I, I mean, keep moving. I keep tons. keep keep looking ahead. Don't look behind. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was sure, fun. It was sure. uh, and you, you were stuck in Rhode Island, and then we got the this worked out perfectly. Yeah, it did. Now, um, do you Twitter? Do you tweet? Are you on Twitter? I, I do. I am on Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle? Um, it's I think it's underscore Tom underscore Right underscore. Okay, now, do you tweet a lot? I I don't, but you know, if people start tweeting me i will tweet back all right <laughs> you now, did you instagram i don't do instagram but uh, i've got a fan page on facebook uh, right. it's it's a t it's tom Wright. well um, people go find tom Wright and also go do what i tell them with all my guests go to imdb look at all his credits and just look up something go to your netflix and watch something don't watch reality tv shows watch one of his things so yeah follow him on uh Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk on Twitter. That's at Cooper Talk on Twitter. I tweet a lot. I like to tweet. Also, I'll uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have uh, over 440 episodes up there. You can email me there, cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me who you want to see on the show. I'll see if I can try to get them. You know, I try. You know, I get all the different kind of guests, and some say yes, some say no. And iTunes and Stitcher, it's Cooper Talk, one word. And if you have an Android uh, tablet or phone, go to the Google Play Store and pick up the Cooper Talk app. That's free. And then go to my other websites. Christmas is coming up. Buy my cookbook. Go to StopTheSalt.com. You know when I have my health problems, I wrote a cookbook, 120 recipes, easy to make, no pictures. You won't be intimidated. No major ingredients you don't have. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not putting a recipe of cumin in. 
120 recipes, easy to make. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. But if you get it from stopthesalt.com, I make more money, then I'll sign it for you. So get that for Christmas. Give it to someone you want to be healthy because we're not getting younger. You want to live long. So anyway, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm on the tip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.